Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today we check in with Fidelity Director of Global Macro, Urian Timmer, for his weekly discussion on macro themes moving the markets and what trends and topics he has on his radar. As 2023 winds down, Urian highlights scenarios investors might face in the new year and what types of questions are on their minds specifically if we will have a soft or hard landing in 2024. He takes a look at different scenarios throughout history, pointing out in this particular economic cycle we're in, the cycle has been quite unusual as we have had 22 months of sideways performance. The gains have been quite modest compared to every other start of a bull market. From his charts, Urian says the outlook is unclear. He highlights that we do not know if it will be a hard or soft landing. If we get a hard landing, historically, a lot of it has been priced in and we will have little effect on the market. Data suggests a soft landing, but again, it is hard to say. We can't exactly be sure. Urian also discusses the next steps of the Fed. Will they continue with its tightening? Is it done cutting rates? And are there any other assets they are trying to get rid of? As per usual, Urian will be sharing his charts, so please head to at Timmer Fidelity on Twitter to follow along. This podcast was recorded on November 27th, 2023. Joining me today to discuss the macro themes affecting markets this week and into next year is Fidelity Director of Global Macro, Urian Timmer. Hi, Urian. Great to see you. Yes. Good morning, Pamela. What would you say you're hearing the most in terms of questions to you? What, what's sort of the biggest question for investors, large and small, right now? I, I think as we finish off 2023 and start glancing into next year, I think the from my perspective, the two big questions are, you know, are we going to get the soft landing that the market seems to be betting on? Um, and obviously that has fast asset allocation implications on, on the beta side, right? So the, what are the, what are the trends of equities, bonds, um, et cetera? And then the other question, which may or may not be related to the first one is, What's going to be the leadership, right? Will the market finally broaden out after the ongoing dominance of what we're calling now the Magnificent Seven? Um, and, you know, and one thing I'm trying to think about is like, okay, are those two connected? And if so, how? And uh, it's not as easy as it seems, uh, but it's, uh, but to me, the, those are the two pretty big questions. And again, one has to deal with the beta. And one has to deal with the alpha. And of course, those are the two major components of, of any portfolio. So, so I wonder which side we go to that, because you have some, some amazing work, as always, into sort of the scenario of a soft landing, the scenario of, of a hard landing. And yeah, I'm curious what the Magnificent Seven does through either of those. But should we begin with sort of the type of landing through history, what they look like? Sure, I, but and but before we do that, if we could just, I, I just want to visualize um, kind of this ongoing state of of limbo, I guess, that the market's been in. So if we go to slide five real quick, uh, here I show the S and P indexed to its the market peak in early January 2022 against all other market cycle peaks. So this shows all corrections, bear markets. And it just shows you how we continue kind of to meander in, in no, no person's land, right? We're, we're not towards the bottom. We're not towards the, the, the top. And so this has been 22 months of sideways now, which is pretty amazing. 
So it's been a very unusual cycle in that sense. And if we go to the next slide, if we just assume for a moment that October of 2022 was the cyclical bottom, and that is my my tentative thesis, if you will, you can see just how modest the gains have been. Like if you compare this to every other start of a bull market, you know, those tend to be much more dynamic. So it remains a very kind of strange cycle. But uh, but let's go to your, your question of what the market is now pricing. So if we go to slide 11, I mean, it's pretty clear or it seems to be getting pretty clear that the Fed is done. And we've talked about this for a number of months. And I think the Fed is kind of tacitly, I mean, they would never outright and admit it. But, you know, after 500 plus basis points of tightening, uh, the fastest, the most on record, I think the data has now become soft-ish enough and the inflation data have become um, good enough um, and the Fed has tightened, you know, enough basis points uh, for, I think, the consensus to be correct in that the Fed is probably done or mostly done or at least done for the time being as it goes into more data-dependent mode. And what's interesting is that, you know, over the past year plus, we've and we've talked about this, the market would always be very maybe naive in expecting how quickly the Fed would pivot once it was done tightening. Um, and the Fed would often have to walk that back saying, well, look, look, markets, you know, we're going to stay higher for longer. And it's interesting that when we look at the black line, which is obviously what the Fed has already done and what the Fed is expected to be done. So that's on the right hand side of that chart. So that's you can just get that from the forward curve. Um, that is now significantly higher than that bright blue line, which is the average for all cycles, whereas six months ago, that black line would be at or below the blue line. So the market has tempered its expectations of how quickly the Fed will pivot. And I think that's correct. And I think that, you know, uh, some credit goes to the Fed for uh, for managing those expectations, because obviously that is a major role that, that the Fed has to do. Um, and so this is what the, the narrative is right now. And if we go to the next slide, you know, it would be easy to make some conclusions. OK, if this is what the Fed's going to do, it means this or that for the stock market. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the history is not that clear. So this is the same chart, but now showing the S&P 500. And you can see that there really is no one clear playbook. So you got, you know, the market, um, that blue line is the average, which doesn't really tell us anything. And you get a lot of negative outcomes, a lot of positive outcomes. And it just highlights that we don't know just because the Fed is potentially done. We don't know if this will lead to a soft landing or a hard landing. And even if it is a hard landing, historically, by the time it happens, a lot of it has already been priced in. And therefore, it has you know very little effect on the market. So we're at a point now where the market has rallied in anticipation of a soft landing. That soft landing now needs to materialize in order for that you know, expect for those expectations to be met. And we don't even know if there will be a soft landing. Certainly, the data suggests it right now. I mean, the economic data continue to be pretty decent. Um, and if the Fed is getting to the end and inflation has gone from nine to three, then maybe we will get that soft landing. But, you know, there, there's a lot of ifs in there. Um, and for 2024, you know, I think this is what we will continue to be trying to uh, trying to look at. And, you know, if I can just go to one other slide, slide 19, you know, there there haven't been a lot of soft landings um, in history. So typically, I love that 
chart. Tell us about that chart. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so, so this chart shows um, all the times that the Fed has ended a tightening cycle. So this measures the the last tightening, if you will, um, going back, you know, whatever that is, uh, a number of decades. Um, the gray shading shows recessions. So it shows you that. Most of the time when the Fed stops tightening, it stops tightening for a reason, meaning that it has tightened so much that a recession happens and then it has to ease. And so in the top chart, I show the change in the 10-year yield, the change in the Fed policy rate from that last tightening until the end of the subsequent easing. Uh, and in the bottom panel, I show uh, what happens to real earnings and to the real S&P. Now, out of all of those cycles, there have been, from what I can see, three soft landings. So 1995 was the most famous one. That was Alan Greenspan tightening in 94. And the maestro, you know, re reaching that that uh, that magical soft landing. But 84 was one. You know, this is after the big inflation peak. Um, the, the Fed started tightening again. A recession did not ensue. And then another one was 1966. You have to go back a while for that. And actually, if you think about 2018, you know, the Fed was tightening. We had that, you know, that, that, that Christmas massacre, for the lack of a better word, where the market fell 20%. And then we got the Powell pivot. Uh, and of course, a year later, we got COVID. Uh, but initially, that was a soft landing as well. But then we got this pandemic, which of course was a bolt from the blue. So, that that could actually be measured as as a soft landing or at least uh, as a start. So, uh, but the point here is that especially eighty four ninety five when the Fed does achieve that um, that soft landing, the stock market takes off right because all of a sudden that vice of tighter policy uh, is lifted, and um, and usually that means inflation is coming down, so that allows bond yields to come down. And at the same time, stock prices go up because the economic cycle uh, has has survived. Um, and so you've really got the holy grail where you got a good bond market and a good stock market. But it's really just a couple of times out of history that the Fed has been able to achieve that. Would you say that in 2018, that was so that was the Fed trying to get off zero, essentially, right? I mean, thinking that everything was strong enough to I mean, I don't know if I'm oversimplifying, but to give it a go, right? I mean, it was a time where we thought, okay, let's let's see if we can get rates up just just enough so that if you need to cut, you can type thing. The trying to get off zero. We're in a very different situation right now. I mean, it's um, and and so this brings in the question of the cuts. Do they cut because they think, gosh, we may we don't maybe we just don't need to be this high, or is it in fact because something's falling apart? I mean, this yeah. is sort of where you land. You raise a great question, and actually, let's pull up slide four for that. But that was still the era where, um, you know, inflation was always below the Fed's target, and therefore the Fed could kind of throw all of its attention onto the, the full employment mandate. Um, and so whenever there was any risk, the Fed could just ease uh, and not worry about that other mandate. I mean, clearly that's those days are over, at least for now. And the Fed has to equally weigh both of its mandates, the price, the inflation mandate and the employment mandate. But, you know, 2018 is sort of in that, uh, that middle square there. And that was one of these holding patterns that this is the S&P 500 equal weighted. 
that the market, you know, will will see from time to time. And 2018, you know, at the beginning, we had Volmageddon, remember, when yes. those inverse uh, VIX ETFs blew Absolutely. up. And so that was uh, an initial correction. And then, of course, we had that period at, at the end of the year. And, and exactly what you said, uh, Jay Powell was trying to get rates back to neutral. And, and you know, he was it was working, right? They were at uh, two and change, uh, the, the, the 10-year yields. I think went to three and change at the time, and then eventually it became too much for the market, and and the and the and 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 the Fed, you know, pivoted. And in retrospect, it probably could have held the line, and the markets would have recovered. You know, but you know that was the conditioning at the time, and then the market did recover. And then, of course, a year later, we had the pandemic, which is that that large crash that you see. Uh, but you know, coming back to the the, the early question um, at the top of the of the show about what are investors what, thinking right. about, you know, obviously this soft versus hard landing is important because if we do get a recession in 2024, then the earnings narrative is off um, because the market is expecting you know double digit earnings growth, and that obviously or not obviously, but that presumably would not happen. In a recession, um, and then you get to the valuation side. Well, if the earnings don't come through, then should the market really be trading at a 19 or 20 multiple? And the answer is probably no. And so those are kind of the big picture questions. But the other one is, you know, this market has been extremely narrow, right? So in this chart, well, yeah, the greener the the background gets, the more participation there is from the underlying stocks in the index. So it represents. The number, uh, the percent, the percentage of stocks above uh, their 200-day moving average, and then when the market goes down, you know, by definition, the shading becomes redder because if the market goes down, fewer stocks are, are above their moving average. But one of the big questions is, you know, a will this trend line resume? Right? You see that rising slope in that market, and you see these holding patterns uh, following large gains. Uh, we are in a holding pattern right now. So, you know, maybe if history repeats, ultimately that rising slope will, will, uh, will rule again. And then by def, you know, not by definition, but by extrapolation, that would suggest that, uh, the shading will become greener and that the leadership will broaden out. But this, 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 um, topic of the magnificent seven versus the rest of the, U.S. market and by extension the U.S. market versus the rest of the world because it's all part of the same phenomenon um, is you know uh, an, another very large question that may or may not get answered by whether we have a soft or hard landing. Okay, well, I mean, why wouldn't it get answered? Well, uh, <laughs> it's it's a great question, and maybe we can go to slide seventeen. Um, it's you know I, I've I've thought long and hard of this uh, on, on this and it's not I, I was hoping for easier answers but I I have not got them and and the reason for that is that we're looking at something that has only happened a few times right so the magnificent seven leadership um, really has only happened twice before and you can see that in the bottom panel so the Nifty Fifty in the early seventies the tech bubble in the late 90s, and now the Magnificent Seven. So that bottom panel shows the percentage of stocks outperforming the index on a year-over-year -year basis. So when you get into the deep red zone, it shows you that only a few stocks are outperforming the market. And you know, if you're an active manager, uh, that's not really what you want to see. You want to have a lot of 
fish in the pond, you know, to be able to fish from and not, not just a, a couple of them swimming around. But so, you know, you go back a hundred years and you get, you know, three episodes, uh, or, or two previous episodes. Um, so that, that's one challenge. Um, the other one is that we've only had, like I said earlier, a couple of soft landings. So we, we only have a few examples of that to choose from. But what you see in this chart, though, in the top panel is every market cycle. And, and I think this is kind of a, a cool visual because it just shows you how regular these drawdowns are, right? So the market corrects as it should, right? I mean, it, it weeds out the excesses. So you can see this cadence here of, uh, of bull markets, you know, uh, going 60 to 100 percent and then bear markets going anywhere from 10 to 50 percent. Um, but, you know, we, we survive them and, and the market moves on. But what's interesting here is that my intuitive notion would be that if the soft landing happens and the tape gets better uh, per the previous chart that I showed, that things will get greener and that more stocks will participate um, and that it will be a better stock picking market. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's generally correct. So that's my, my basic assumption. But what's interesting in this chart is that when you see those periods of very narrow leadership, um, eventually a recession happened and the market actually broadened out during that recession. And, and I think that's kind of counterintuitive because you would think yes. in a recession, that only handful of like really defensive stocks work and everything else gets get, gets crushed. But that actually did not happen. So ironically, if we got a hard landing next year, that would be out of consensus because the market's pricing a soft landing. But if we got a hard landing, you could actually see the market broadening in a hard landing. And that's that's completely counterintuitive. So that, that that's something that I think very few people have on their bingo card for next year. And and which is kind of why I like it, because the, this whole cycle has been things happening that nobody had on their bingo card. So so that that's kind of the contrarian in me wondering like how how the market can continue to torture us all. So in a scenario of a hard landing, it allows other stocks to rise essentially on the other side. Yeah, and, and if you think about what would be the catalyst, so so these these um, narrow leadership periods, you know, there has to be the stage has to be set, meaning the relative valuation has to be at an extreme, um, and then a catalyst needs to take place. And generally, like in the seventies, it was the market recovering, and then we had inflation. Um, in the nineties, it was just a bubble that imploded on itself. And so we don't really have either of those right now, but something would have to change uh, or be, be changed to the fundamental narrative of this magnificent seven, either because they stop producing their earnings or the rest of the market starts to produce uh, more earnings on their side. And the soft landing would play into that because if this vice of tight liquidity gets lifted, um, then maybe all these other stocks that the cats and dogs, if you will, can can breathe some relief. And actually, we have a, a chart on that, that that kind of shows you how the plumbing actually can be affected. So if we go to slide eight, you know, this yeah. shows. Talked about this last week. This is so fascinating. I, I, I want to yeah. I, I also want to ask you if part of the catalyst could be AI. But the, let's talk about obviously rates first. Well, 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 certainly AI. Uh, I'll answer that one first. So first of all, so 
at the beginning of last year when the market started to correct, the, the, the Magnificent Seven or the Fangs, as they were still called then, uh, bore the brunt of it initially because this was a correction driven by higher rates. And these are long duration, high PE stocks. So they should be affected by by changes in rates. Um, and they did get affected. But now the AI story has kind of become uh, part of the narrative and also uh, there's a sense that actually all the other stocks, you know, companies, smaller companies with weaker balance sheets and more debt who are more sensitive to interest rates because they have higher debt burdens, that those are the ones sort of uh, at, at, at the center of the storm when liquidity starts to tighten. And you can actually see that here. So here I show uh, small cap value stocks. And the orange line is what we call overall liquidity. So that's the Fed's balance sheet minus reverse repos minus the Treasury's cash balance at the Fed. And that gets kind of in, into the plumbing. Uh, but it shows you that the, the rise in that line uh, during 2021 um, when uh, liquidity was ample and then the, the erosion of that line in 2022 as the Fed was you know, taking the punch bowl away. Um, but that over the past year, that line has been relatively stable. And if we go to, this, to the previous slide, slide seven, you can see these components there. And what's been interesting is that if you look at the purple bars at the bottom, that's the Fed's balance sheet. So QT, quantitative tightening, has been now good for about $1.2 trillion over the past year and a half. So that's a meaningful decline in the Fed's securities holdings. But then you look at the orange bars, which is the TGA, so the, the Treasury's cash balance at the Fed. And of course, this was heavily influenced by the debt ceiling um, showdown we had you know, six months ago or so. The, the Treasury had to spend down its cash because it couldn't issue any debt. And then when the debt ceiling got passed, it, it started to replenish its cash balance. So you see those orange bars becoming less negative. But the real mover here has been the gray bars, which is the reverse repo program. And so reverse repos, you know, increased by 500 billion and then declined by one and a half trillion. Um, and so what's happening here, and this is the part that I find fascinating, is that the market is starting to believe that the Fed is done um, and that at some point the Fed will give back some of the rate hikes, either by choice, like Greenspan did in 95, because if inflation has been tamed and it's, let's say, it goes to what's well, already at 3%, but let's say the core inflation data go towards 3 or or lower, then there's no reason for the Fed to still be as restrictive as it is. So maybe it starts giving back some. Money market funds uh, who are buying T-bills or reverse repos as ways to invest their customers' money um, are kind of doing uh, – they're, they're kind of playing the yield curve, if you will, but within the, within the T-bill market, right? So if you're a money market fund and you think T-bill yields are going to be falling six months or a year from now – Maybe you buy longer T-bills instead of shorter T-bills because you're going to get better price appreciation. And so that is less reason to buy reverse repos. So reverse repos are being used less. So those those balances are coming down. And that's providing a, a big, uh, you know, um, an offsetting factor to the Fed's QT. Now, this is, again, it's all in, in the plumbing. It's inside baseball. But it's interesting that a change in the narrative on the Fed you can actually trace it almost to the dollar of what that means to liquidity in the market. 
Um, and, and what that means then for like, for instance, small cap value, but just stocks in general. So it's all related, but sometimes it's harder to connect the dots when you don't really see how one thing affects the other. But in this case, we can actually see that. So I, I, I think you may have fully answered the question. I was going to ask the, the sort of cocktail of assets that the Fed was, was holding on its balance sheet that it is drawing down and, and the composition within. I think you sort of answered what it was and what's being gotten rid of and, and why. But is there anything else in there that's sort of interesting? I mean, they were hoovering up all kinds of things that they're now getting rid of. Um, is there anything in there else just to kind of point to us that they're getting out of the business of? Um, well, I mean, they mostly own treasuries and tips and uh, mortgage-backed securities. Right. Um, and so, you know, they obviously build out some of the banks in March back in the Silicon Valley Bank days. But that's like in a different bucket. So that's that's not even included here. Um, but it's it's mostly they're they're just letting bonds and treasuries and mortgages roll off. Uh, so they're not selling anything, but they're just not reinvesting it. And one of the big questions is, you know, how long will quantitative tightening continue, right? It's been going on for a year and a half. It's been 1.2 trillion, but other factors have offset that. So it's almost like the Fed hasn't really shrunk its balance sheet at all. And I don't know if that's a source of frustration for the Fed or whether they uh, know that and accept it and whether they think that uh, the rate side is more powerful as a tool. So I, I don't really know. But but one question will be when the Fed, so presumably the Fed is ending its tightening campaign, but that doesn't mean it's ending quantitative tightening, right? It, like the rate side and the balance sheet side are just two different tools. And so one of the, the open question is how long will they continue QT uh, even if they stop raising rates? And my sense is that they will continue it, especially given that these other factors are offsetting it. Otherwise, it would be like as if they're easing, right, if these other factors are bringing the balance sheet up. So my sense is that they will continue it for a while until they deem that the reserves in the banking system are down to a level where it's enough for the banks to function, but not so much that the banks are going to be overly loose in their policy. But that, that's another another open question for 2024. The QT side of things. Yeah, it's just fascinating. And and so it is a tool, as you say, is it a is it a tool that they could pull if if things uh don't go the soft landing route as well? Well and, and that's and that's another great question that um you know if we get the hard landing, what tool will they implement first, right? Will they cut rates? Or will they say, well, inflation is still above three, so we can't really cut rates, but we will we will provide more liquidity uh, through the balance sheet. So um, I could easily see a scenario where in a recession, especially if there are maybe some stresses in the banking system, that's not a prediction or anything like that, but that maybe the balance sheet is where they ease first and then they keep rates higher uh, because inflation is not allowing them to cut rates, or maybe they cut rates a little bit, but 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 then the balance sheet becomes kind of the 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 the, the primary tool. So, all really good questions. Well, and and it's it's wonderful to have the context that you're providing for us to sort of weed through these. Uh, any just quick, it's always a big topic, but just anything to note on on the election cycle that's coming. I mean, again, mostly just market reaction one way or the other. Anything to note? Yeah, I, you know, it's. Um, 
I, I can't believe we're going to go back there. You know, I was just so happy the last time that it was over. But uh, but it's yeah. interesting, you know, in my home country of the Netherlands, um, they just had a massive upset in their yeah. elections. Uh, Geert Wilders, who is kind of like the, the Dutch Donald Trump. I mean, this is what he's called. Yeah. Uh, you know, won the, the most seats. Uh, this is obviously a, 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 a different form of structure, parliamentary structure. But that was a massive upset. So it makes me... Uh, it, it makes me see that populism is 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 not dead by any by any means, and uh, and it makes me you know somewhat prepared that uh, the outcome for this our election in the U.S. could could be anything, um, and um, and you know so that that's a whole other thing that I need to get mentally prepared for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll ask in the weeks to come later on. Yeah. Anyway, lovely to see you. Thank you for starting off our week. We needed that, and we shall see you next week. All the best, Yuri and Timmer. Excellent. Thank you, Pamela. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.